Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. I got a lot to get into today, so I'm going to say hello, welcome, let's get into the message. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, if you are brand new, I'm Tyler. We've been in a series titled, Who is This Jesus? And the heart of it is simply this, is that uh, if you are brand new to Christianity, uh, this is such a great series for you. But if you've been following the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years, there are new facets of God's goodness for you to find. And we're going to be in John 4 today. One of my favorite texts in all the Bible. I would say I relate to it more than almost any other text besides Luke 15. Um, I didn't grow up in church, and I feel like the Lord went and sought me out, and he grabbed my life, and he saved me. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but on uh, the day of Palm Sunday, the people screamed, Hosanna. And Hosanna literally means, please save us. Save me. And we know that a week later, the grave was empty, and that Hosanna turned into a hallelujah. Can I get an amen for that? And and some of you may be new to church, and Hosanna is your theme song right now. Well, you're about to get a hallelujah. Uh, But but, but the rest of you in the house, you've had the Hosanna moment. Uh, I've had the Hosanna moment. John 4 is a Hosanna moment for the Samaritan woman. Uh, that, that Jesus understood that not everybody's going to come to a church on a Sunday. Uh, that not everybody's going to be willing to walk through the doors. So if they're not going to walk through the doors and because nobody invited them, how do we get them into church or how do we get church to them? And so the time of message today is when Jesus makes room. Everybody say, make room. Make room. Come on now. We believe that in the 10 a.m. service. We need to make some room in the 10 a.m. service. Come on now. Um, I was going to title when Jesus hits the streets. Um, but I thought, you know, I'd be like, huh? Hits the streets? Um, so we're going to do the makes room. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. Lord, to see salvations every week. To see people hungry for your presence. To see people say, man, this is my house. And this is the kingdom we're going to build. And it's yours, Lord. So Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in the house. Lord, we thank you for what today represents. Lord, you are the king. And you are not the soon and coming king. You are the king of kings. And so, Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. Oh, would you meet us here today, God? I come against apathy. come against distractions. Lord, I pray that our cell phones for just 35 minutes. Who am I kidding? For the next 40 minutes, Lord, that we would just leave them alone. And everybody said? Amen. All right, all right, all right. John 4, we're in the text. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go now. Three things you're going to see Jesus uh, show this woman in John 4. He's going to show who he was, who he is, uh, what he has to offer, and how she can receive it. So let's see who Jesus is in this one. Uh, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize him, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. This is 120 miles from Judea to Galilee. There are three routes uh, in this uh, thing. Jesus is going to return. It's amazing to me that they walked everywhere. Man, their Fitbits, their watches, their whatever, their step count must have been so high. And they weren't like wearing like, you know, like, uh, you know, Nikes or anything. Like flip-flops. I don't even know. Like my feet bother me with my shoes. I don't get it. But that's a whole other story. We get to have them last, okay? Um, it says this. The next verse, it just, it always jumps out to me. It says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, there's three routes. A normal custom way for the Jewish people was to go around Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. It would add three extra days. So uh, walking from uh, Judea to Galilee is a three-day journey. Walking around was a six-day journey. Can you imagine hating somebody so much that you're willing to walk three extra days just so you don't see their face? Like this is the dynamic that the Jews and the Samaritans are living in, all right? And so, so Jesus says, no, I have to go this way. Man, that verbiage is so intense. When do we use have to? 
if you have a life-saving operation, are you going to miss that appointment? No, you have to make that appointment. There's something about having the right have-tos in life. If you have the wrong have-tos, it will destroy you. But if you have the right have-tos, it will bless you. Let's be honest. Some of the have-tos we have right now, they're not the good ones. I have to have my life figured out by 30. I have to get married at this age. I have to have this career. I have to look a certain way. I have to have this house. I have to have this career. I have to get this promotion. I have to get into this school. All those type of have-tos that you put life and death on destroy you and not bless you. Jesus had the right have-tos. He says in John 5, 42, very simply, I do what the Father tells me to do. Here's my have-to. If he tells me, that's my have-to. And when you have the right, when you have the right Lord, the right Savior, it doesn't uh, destroy you. It blesses you. And so Jesus knows I have to go this way. The Holy Spirit compels me to go through Samaria. Not only that, he knows what's about to happen. He's omniscient. He, he's fully man, fully God. He knows this is a life or death appointment. He knows that if he meets this Samaritan woman, it could change her life forever. So he has to meet with her. He has to make room. And you, you probably heard me say this before. You know, most of Jesus' ministry was on the way to something else. Like he was on the way to uh, Galilee. And on the way there, he gets interrupted. But he always wanted to make room on the way. We got to be a people that always make room on the way. Can I get amen for that? Amen. All right, so he had to go, uh, uh, had to make way. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's keep on going. There we go. Uh, verse five. Eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Zakar near the field of Jacob, uh, gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. i got to give you context in this. So noontime. Um, now, uh, anybody ever lived like in Palm Springs or Arizona? Raise your hand. So you get it. June, July, August. You're not just going on a nice walk at noon, you know? I mean, like people in Palm Springs call June, July, August, the false prophet, the beast, and the antichrist, okay? I mean, it is just hot, you know? I had one of my buddies, two pastors uh, in the desert, he said, we don't even teach on hell in July because we're like, it doesn't scare me, I live here, okay? Like, it, it's already hot as hell here, you know? So, so, so that's the, just the reality if you live in the desert. If you see somebody in the desert running at noon, call the cops, Okay? Because either they're ignorant and they're about to die or they're trying to kill themselves. Please call the cops, okay? So this is the reality. When you live in the desert, you're not walking at noontime. The, the well was this place where in the morning people would go before it was hot and get water. They didn't have Starbucks. They didn't have Pete's. They definitely, definitely didn't have Rooted. Shout out to Rooted. Come on now. Um, they didn't have Rooted Coffee Shop. Uh, so what, what we do now is when we go to hang out, so I'm like, hey, let's meet at Rooted, 7 a.m. Oh, that's a little too early for me. Let's do 7.30. Okay, I'll see you at 7.30. So they would like, you go hang out, have coffee, talk about the day. Well, they didn't have coffee shops. They had wells. So the ladies be like, hey, what time are we going to get water tomorrow? 7 a.m. Let's go at 7 a.m. You show up. You're like, hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? Did you see Bachelorette last night? Oh, my gosh. You know? And then they start talking about, you know, the reality shows or whatever. And then start talking about, you wouldn't believe what Bill did yesterday or whatever, you know? And so they're just talking about anything, you know, or talking about sports. You know, did you see the national championship game last night? Holy cow, the guy made a buzzer beater. It was amazing, okay? Whatever they talked about. But the well was the coffee shop where people would hang, talk, and connect. But if you an outcast... You don't get invited to coffee at 7 a.m. And if you show up out of the blue, they're going to look at you weird. They're going to judge you. And this is what's happened in her society. She has not found a place that when she walks through the door, she is celebrated. Man, I love our church. You walk through the door, you watch it online, we're going to celebrate that you walk through the door. I met a mom this morning, and she's like, I made it. And I was like, you came. <laughs> she's just she's like, I got through the door. Like, I, we were celebrating that she just got to church, you know what I'm saying? 
Like there's just something about celebrating. There's so many things that hold people back from coming to church every Sunday. I'm tired. I sinned too much this week. I don't know if they're going to be happy to see me. Oh, you know, the, the church is so full now. I got to park three buildings away. Should I still come? So many things. The Carolines, yes, you still come to church, yes. But that's the reality. There's always something holding us back. So this woman comes at noontime, so she won't be judged. So nobody will look at her weird. Nobody's going to be there. She knows she's, she can get her water and be on her way. She's an outcast. And so that's the context right now. And I'm just telling you real quick. God can reach the outcast. God can reach the one farthest from God. Don't be surprised when God reaches. Be like, the person that you're thinking of right now, they never get saved. Get ready. They're about to get saved. Come on now. So, so she's the outcast. She's going at noon. Here's what it says. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So this is, and you got to catch this real quick. There's so many barriers here uh, happening. So, and Jesus is all about tearing down barriers, tearing down walls that, that would separate people. So, so one of these barriers is basically Jews and Samaritans hate each other. We have nothing in our culture that could describe the type of hate and history Jews had versus Samaritans. The closest thing we have today is Republicans versus Democrats, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like, like you, right when you hear somebody's a Democrat, if you're a Republican, wall up. You're like, oh, you're one of them? And then same thing, Democrat, Republican, oh, you're one of them. Just a wall goes up right away. This is what's happening in our culture. So let me give you some context about this wall and this barrier that is, is there. And, uh, around 700 BC, 727 BC to be exact, uh, Assyrians take over um, Israel. The 10 northern tribes basically end up intermarrying with the Assyrians and creating a new race called the Samaritans. Now, the two southern tribes do not intermarry, uh, Benjamin and Judah. And so, therefore, that's where Jesus', Jesus um, you know, um, birth comes through them. But the other 10 tribes, gone. They intermarry and become Samaritans. Now, you take the Assyrians who were perverse, violent, and gross— and then you take people who are religious but don't really like value the religion, it creates this new race where they're sacrificing babies at a temple. They're sexually perverse. It is a uh, race that is basically perverted in every single way but acts like they're religious still. This is the Samaritans. Not only that, in the book of Ezra, they show up and, and the, the Jews are building the temple and they're like, hey, we're, we're half Jewish. Let's, let us build a temple with you. He's like, no, no, no. You're not going to be able to build a temple with us. You've got idols and everything else. You're not building a temple with us. So they say, fine. You want to let us build a temple on Mount Zion? They go over to Mount Gerizim and build their own temple and create their own temple to worship at. And then in Nehemiah 13, you just see this this tension uh, where uh, they're battling over uh, different things. So Nehemiah beats up some Samaritans and scalps them. Is there a little bit of tension between the Jews and Samaritans? If your kid married a Samaritan, you didn't throw a party, you threw a funeral. This is what happened in Jewish times. Hey, mom, dad, I'm marrying a Samaritan. All right, let's throw a funeral. We've lost our kid forever. You wanted to hurt somebody's feelings back then? You wanted to cuss at him? You said, you Samaritan. You're like, take that back. Like that, 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 that's what the Samaritan versus Jewish thing. The Samaritan race and people were the outcasts of all society. And this woman... Couldn't go to the coffee shop with them in the morning because she's the outcast of the outcast. She's the rejected of the rejected. She has lived such a life to where a Samaritan community who sacrificed babies and are perverse go, she's, she's too much for us. Again, nobody's too far for God. I love when Jesus makes room. I love it when he, when he tears down a barrier and saves people that we never thought he could save, talks to people he never thought we, we should talk to. I mean, this is the, the Jesus we worship. And so, so uh, this kind of sets the stage a little bit for you. 
And so Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Anybody um, married to or friends with a person that is all about the guessing game? Like you just meet them and they're like, guess how much lunch was? You know, like, like Rachel and I are guessing game people. Like, like this last week, Rachel got a new jacket. Uh, go and stand up, Rachel. This is my baby girl, Rachel Johns. Come on, stand up, stand up, stand up. This is, this is, one, of her, this is one of her new jackets. Aww. She's walking around the offices last week. She's like, guess how much this jacket was? She's like, touch it. It's so soft. How much do you think my jacket was? And so uh, this is just what we do. And so uh, uh, one of my favorite shows when I was a younger kid was Price is Right. Anybody love Price is Right? Man, Bob Barker was the man. Come on now. And so uh, you can take a seat, my, my lady. <laughs> Stand there the whole time. When do I sit down? Um, so so uh, there was one of these games I really loved. It was called the over-under game. They would show an appliance, uh, some food, and say, is it over-under this price? So let's play a little prices right today. Let's just, let's just have some fun, okay, with the guessing game. Uh, over-under, um, let's make uh, this, um, okay, I'm going to use $20. Over-under, Rachel's... Uh, um, jacket is more than $20. If you think Rachel's jacket is more than $20, raise your hand. Okay, there's a lot of hands, a lot of hands. Raise your hand if it's under. It is under. The winners are under. $17. Come on now. My, my girl chops at TJ Maxx. Now you're like, wow, Rachel saves you so much money. Yes, if she only bought the jacket. But she buys other stuff with the jacket. That cart is full, Okay. And so TJ Maxx knows how to get you. Death by a thousand cuts. Anyways, okay. And so, so, so there's one. Okay, let's, uh, let's keep playing the game. Let's keep playing the game. Ready? Um, my wedding band. Over, under, $20. Raise your hand if you think it's over $20. Raise your hand if you think it's under $20. I am offended that you think the wedding band, the covenant I have with my bride, would be under $20. But you're right. It's $11.99 on Amazon. I got three of these babies. Like, like, I'm like, oh, I'll get another one tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's just how I roll. Oh. I have lost so many of these rings. I go golfing. I put in my golf bag and then it just disappears. And so I got them all throughout the house. I got one in my drawer. I got one in my car. Like, I'm like, I'm like I literally, like, it's like, yeah. I got another one in my back pocket probably right now. So anyways, $11.99. So let's, let's play well, one, one more, one more guessing game. Okay, ready? Ready? Uh, these shoes right here, I got these uh, about a week and a half ago. Whoosh, okay? These Pumas, all right? This is really painful. Okay. <laughs> not flexible. So uh, over, under $40 on my Pumas. Who thinks they're over $40? Raise your hand. Who thinks they're under $40? Man, I got to get nicer shoes. That's way too many people who think my shoes are that cheap. $29.99. Puma Outlet. Premium Outlets. Come on now. Get them, get them, Puma Outlet. Uh, we were in Orlando. I found these babies. Now, you play the game and Price is Right, and you're wrong at calculating the cost on some goods, you lose the game. But if you miscalculate the cost of your life on who you're supposed to choose and what will satisfy your soul, and you get your have-tos wrong, man, it turns from laughter to weeping real fast. It turns from this game was fun, and now this game is no fun for me. I'm not having any fun with this game of life. Life keeps on having me guess. Would this satisfy my soul? No. Okay, maybe this will satisfy my soul. No, maybe this will satisfy my soul. Just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we should start looking at ourselves and say, Lord, here's what I see in your scripture. You don't play guessing games. You make it very clear. You are living water. You are the way, the truth, and life. You are the door. You are the one. Can I get an amen for that? So, goes on and says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, 
and uh, this well is very deep. Where would you uh, get this living water? She's asking, where do I find it? I'm intrigued now. You, say, you, you, you gave me the answer. We're not going to guess. You told me, where do I find it? He goes, and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink uh, the water I give and, uh, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So she asked, where do I find this? On the surface level, we're, we're pretty different. But on the soul level, we're very similar. Let me just tell you real quick. Surface level, Rachel and I, I'll, I'll give you like an example. Um, uh, before uh, the dating apps, Rachel and, I met, Rachel and I met before dating apps. So like I do the old school way. Saw her at a party one time at church. It was a birthday party. <laughs> then I see her at service. I'm like, okay, who that? You know what I'm saying? And then I'll go on Facebook and MySpace and, you know, do the Facebook stalking real quick. Look at all, every single picture in there. Like, what is she into? What's she like? You know? And I remember looking through her pictures and, and I remember seeing like, they, they would always have like this like Halloween party and she'd dress up like a fairy and something else. Those are red flags, but whatever. Um, I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, oh, this girl's cool. Oh, what the, what is that? Like, what, why is she just, you know, like, 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 like everybody like would like be posing for a painting, like pirate outfits. I'm like, this is weird. And so, so then I find out like Rachel, you know, went to UCLA and she was in musicals and then she was in an acapella group and, you know, just very much into art. And, and so on the surface, Rachel and I were very different. You go on my, my Facebook, I'm very similar. I'm eating potatoes. Give me, give me golf once a week. Give me some sports. You know, I'm, I'm chill. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I could go to Maui and Tahoe for the rest of my life and just be a happy man. Rachel's like, I want to go see the world. You know, get me on a ship and we could just call me Magellan. She would just go through the whole world. I remember when, like, two years in our marriage, I was like, I don't really want to go anywhere but Tahoe and Maui. I, like, I don't want to go to Europe. And Rachel's like, this is like telling me you don't want to have kids. You should have shared this with me. I was like... So, so service level, we different, but then soul level, oh, we, we the same. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. If, if you, if you're, if you had a day nap, if I had a day nap, my day nap would say, hey, you know, love to laugh, you know, love sports, you know, lo- love uh, going out for a great bite, but just basically love, just lo- love having a, a good time. Like I'd be very simple on my, 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 uh, my day nap profile, but my soul app, if I had a soul profile app, I think all of our soul profile would say this. I desire a rich and satisfying life. Oh, I desire to be fulfilled. I desire to hear affirmation. Well done, good and faithful servant. I desire it. I desire unconditional love. Like these are things that our soul literally is built for and only one can satisfy. And so the world and culture is the ultimate catfish. It will tell you I can satisfy your soul. It will tell you you can have a rich and satisfying life. Now, I never did dating apps, but I've heard some crazy stories from people where they're like, yo, I, 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 the person I saw on the app, I showed up, was not the same person. I got, I got, I got punked, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and so like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm always like, I always tell Rachel, like, I'm so thankful you and I dated when we dated. Like, man, if you are single and you date in this landscape, I just pray for you in the name of Jesus. It's just, it's a harder territory to, like, you know, uh, navigate. But man, like, I'm just so thankful. Some of you who don't know the Lord right now, Man, there's so many things trying to sell you. Pick me, pick me, pick me. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm the one you pick. I am living water. I'm the one who satisfies. It goes on. He says, she goes, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Can I do one more game show illustration? It's game show Sunday, okay? Um, so she goes, okay, I want it. She basically said, please give it to me. Like, 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 basically, it's like almost like a, 
I'm giving you my life. I'm like, she's like, you know, like, show me where to go. I want this. Like she is now, she is fully bought in. She's like, you have my ear. You have my attention. If you, what, what, what you say, I am now down. Point me in the right spot. Now let's just stop here real quick. This is going to be one of the greatest times in your life. When you come to this place in your life, when you say, Jesus, I'm in. Tell me where I'm supposed to go. Let's just pause that thought real quick. There's a game, didn't really love it that much. It's an older one. They remade it with Wayne Brady. It's called Let's Make a Deal. And basically the very end of it would be three doors. And depends on what years you watched it, you know, the three doors, one would always be like a car and the other two would be like a goat. Like literally, like, like they'd open it, like a bah, like a real goat. You'd win a goat. Who wants to win a goat, okay? And so, so you have the three doors, and, and, the, and the host's job was to trick you to pick the goat door, not the car door. And so like the, the audience knows, and they're watching, and they're like, the person goes, I picked door number three. And then the host is like, well, what if I offered you this to pick door number one? So it's like a small little offer. Like it's not the grand prize, but it's a decent prize, and I'll have you pick door number one. And, and then sometimes like, how about we show you one of the other doors and you may want to switch your door. And then they open up door one and, and it's a go. Bah, now you got a 50-50 chance. Do you pick three or pick two? And then the person will be like, okay, you're right. I, I, I don't want to do three. I pick two. And then it open up door two and there'd be another go. Bah. And be like, no! You know? And like, oh, so sorry. Door three, look, it was a brand new car. You know? A Tesla. Here's your goat. You know? And so, <coughs> so, so it was like, and again, like you watch the game, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they were one door away. Now picture your life. And picture Jesus is on the game show, let's make a deal with you. And he's right behind you. And the host is trying to talk you out of the grand prize. And she's like, yo, I'm omniscient. They're going to tell you a lot of things. I'm positive. It's door number three. Trust me, pick three. And the host is like, oh, da 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 You're like, no, no, no. No, 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 I'm not listening to you. Now I'm listening to myself because I want to go door number two but I'm going to stick with this guy. He says door number three. Door number three, please. Grand prize! Now, what she's doing right now is, man, I've walked through doors. Door after door after door, and I listened to my emotions. I listened to culture, and over and over again, I got punked. Jesus, you tell me the door. Where do I go? Where do I walk through? How, where is the door? I'm in. You have my ear. I want the door you have for me. And if you're in the room today, and you haven't got to that place, I pray today's the day you get to that place. You're saying, Jesus, you pick the door for me. You pick the life for me. You tell me how to live. You tell me where to go because I know it's the greatest decision of my life. So it goes on. And she says, okay, I want it. I want this door. And then Jesus just, boop, left turn. He goes, go get your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband, woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. She's like, you certainly spoke the truth. She's like, this man must be a prophet, you know. Um, I always was confused at this moment. Jesus, you got her. She said she's in. Like, you, you, I feel like you're, 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 you're jeopardizing the moment. Like, she already said, I'm down. I want this satisfaction. I want, I, I want this living water. And then Jesus goes, Go get your husband. I'm like, why are you saying that? Jesus, just give her the water. She's in. But for there to be real conversion, there must be real conviction. And the reality is he's saying, here's the deal. For there to be real transformation in your life, for there to be salvation, there's two hard looks you look at. 
a hard look at your own life and how miserable you are without God, and then a hard look at Jesus, realizing he's the one that satisfies. And Jesus says, hey, you're taking a look at the, at the living water, but now I need you to look at what you need to walk away from. And I need there to be repentance, and I need there to be sorrow. And not just sorrow, just because like, you feel bad about yourself, but sorrow says, like, I can't believe I, I spent this many years chasing after these have-tos. He's trying to switch her have-tos. This woman had a worship problem. What was her have-tos? I have to have a man, and I don't have to be a good man. If a man likes me, I'm in. First man, he's not that good, but he liked me, so I'm living with him. Well, that didn't work out. I'm single again. I have to have a man. Her have-tos are messed up. Your have-tos are your worship problems, by the way. She just feels like this is what's going to validate and satisfy her. So man after man after man, have-to after have-to, Jesus goes, I want you to look at your old have-to real quick. Go get your old have-tos because you're going to introduce them to your new have-to. I have to worship this one because you worshiped your way into this. You're going to have to worship your way out of this. He is reorganizing her life. He's reorienting her life. He's not trying to be ruthless. He's trying to show her, hey, the thing that was stealing from you can no longer be the thing that you need in your life. Goes on. She says, so you must be a prophet. And I love this. You know, she's like, how did you know? And I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. You discern my thoughts from far away. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. I just love how scripture shows that God knows us more than we know ourselves, our innermost beings, our, our, our deepest thoughts. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Uh, it was once that a little girl uh, in his sermon said this, whispered to mom at the very end of it, mom, how does he know what's going on in our house? You ever feel that way at church? You're like, how did the pastor read my mail today? You want to know why? Because we're all so similar. We're all, we're all dissatisfied when we're living for the world. We, we all struggle with shame because we don't understand grace completely. We all have some kind of stronghold that we don't want to uh, share prayer for because we think people will judge us. All these things, like when you hear me preach, you're like, how did you know? The reality is the scripture is very simple. It is the, the grace of God trying to uh, restore the brokenness of man. So, 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 so this is the moment. He's like, this is your brokenness. And all of us have different brokenness. Maybe it's not uh, a person you have to have. Maybe it's praise. Maybe it's comfort, whatever it is. But those have-tos, Jesus is trying to change that in the name of Jesus. And so, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist, on, uh, insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? So I told you about Mount Zion was where the, the, the temple was built. The Samaritans built another one on Mount Gerizim. And now she's confused. She's like, I'm in. You're telling me it's a worship problem? Well, I want to worship, so how do I worship? Jesus being a great teacher, he teaches this. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship in that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Hey, I don't know if you knew this, but Mission Church, we house worship. We love worship here. So anytime I get a chance to even teach on worship a little bit, I'm going to do it. And this John 4, a big part of the text is worship. So I got to touch on this real quick. She says, how do I worship? Because I've been a bad worshiper. I've worshiped the wrong things. Teach me. Because you're telling me that if I get my worship right, my life will be right. And so there's three things he shows. He goes, the first thing uh, that is bad worship, selective worship is false worship. False worship is selective worship. He says this to her. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. You know anything about the Samaritans. Not only did they build a temple at Mount Gerizim, but they also took the first five books of the Bible, and that's what they made their, their ultimate authority. And the first five books is great. But if you don't have the next 61 books, you're missing out. So they threw out the Psalms. 
They threw out the major and minor prophets. So they didn't know about the goodness of God, the kindness of God. They didn't know that God was a shepherd. They didn't know any of this kind of stuff. They, they only knew the first five books. He goes, how can you worship me if you don't even know me? Right. And selective worship is like, I, I, I kind of know who God is. Like, I, I, you know, I want him to help me a little bit. So I, I worship a God who's going to help me a little bit. That, that, that's false worship. Until you know that God is your Savior, that he is the one that uh, paid the price you can pay, uh, died the de- death you can die, and then conquered a death that you can never conquer. Until you don't know that, you're never going to worship him the way you're supposed to worship him. So he says, um, false worship is selective worship. Next one is, false worship is ignorant worship. He says, you're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. So it's like, again, like, I don't want people just to sing songs and raise their hands because everybody else in the room is singing songs and raising hands. I want them to raise their hands, understand who they're raising their hands to and why they're raising their hands. Can I just tell you real quick, I'll just share my journey. I'm not going to speak for you. I'll speak for my, on my behalf. When I raise hands in church, it is not some emotional thing like, you know, like, uh, what, what are you saying? Like, um, your, oh, what was the song we sang today? Gosh, uh, Back to Life. Uh, back to Life. And uh, I can't think of a, a bridge right now. I'm trying to think of a bridge. Won't stop now. That's why I'm not a music team. Okay, music, music team. I'm not on it. Um, but when we're singing, uh, you know, like, uh, your grace so free washes over me. Um, I did it, I did it, I did it. Um, when I'm worshiping, I'm like, I'm just so emotional right now. Your grace so free. Oh, I'm just so happy. My hands are up. It's not why I'm raising my hands. A lot of people get mad because people are like, oh, raising your hands is emotional. It's, it's a show. No, no, no. I worship him in truth. Yeah. And over and over again in the Bible, Jesus says, I want you to raise your hands to me. I want you to raise holy hands to me. The, the, the Hebrew words I taught in worship three months ago, like some are like, raising your hands to show people that I'm the one you, that saved you. Raise your hands because I'm the one that you know that is worthy of ha- being hands being raised. And so when I, even the very beginning when Won't Stop Now started at the 830 service this morning, I was a little tired. And I was like, Lord, my, my, my flesh is tired. And so I remember, he's like, Lord, I'm going to worship my way out of this. Apathy will not be a part of service. I started raising my hands, declaring God, you'll be a part of service. So I started, in truth, I started raising my hands. I would submit to you that a lot of people who don't raise their hands are more emotional than the ones that are raising their hands. Oh, can I tell you why? Because a lot of times why people don't raise their hands is because it makes them feel uncomfortable. They're controlled by their emotions. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Your emotions are holding you back from actually worshiping God in truth. It's preference. Well, I just, that's just not how I'm wired. My emotions aren't wired that way. It's not about your emotions being wired. They're like, well, those people, they're exuberant people and they love to raise their hands because it's their emotional thing. No, no, no. We worship with truth. And then the third thing he says is, they're going to worship, uh, false worship is superstitious worship. He says they're going to worship in the right spirit. I'm not going to lie. I, I grew up a superstitious person, you know, baseball games, you know. I'd wear the, the backwards hat or, the, or turn the hat inside out or take a shoe off. I wouldn't walk under ladders, you know, step on a crack, break your mom's back. I was making sure I was, I was missing every crack there was when I was a kid. You know, black cat walked by. I was like, oh, no, not today, black cat, you know. I mean, I, would, I, wouldn't, seat, I wouldn't sit in, like, seat 13. Uh, even when I first got saved, like, I, I remember, like, buying lemons, and it was like, I had six lemons. Like, I can't buy six lemons. Six is the mark of the beast. I need seven lemons, you know. Like, like I was always processing like just superstitious stuff. And it seeped into my relationship with the Lord. Like basically when I, when I would worship God and live for God, I was like, if I do good, I get good. That's superstition. If I don't step on the, the, this kind of sin this week, then I'm going to get blessed. But if I step on the sin, I'm going to get cursed. And I, I started living superstitious worship lifestyle. And you said, people are going to worship me, not because they're afraid of me, not because they're scared of me. They're going to worship me because they love me with the right spirit. They're going, to, they're going to worship me because I love them first. And, and, and when we worship him out of love and because we were loved, it changes worship completely. And he says, that is real worship. 
And if I could just give you even the spiritual context of what he's trying to say to her. First uh, Peter shows us this, that, that we are a living temple being built together, a.k.a. that, that Jesus no longer don't live in these walls. He lives in you. And so he's coming to the rejects of rejects, the outcasts of outcasts, and saying, can I live in you? Can I make my home in your life? Will you now be my new temple? Will you be the place where when, when you come together with other believers, this is where I dwell? Like, you're a big part of me dwelling now. What a beautiful picture. Amen? Amen. And then uh, the woman said, uh, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then as Abbas came back, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had nerve to ask, what do you want to do with her, or why are you talking to her? It's an amazing thing. There's another barrier here that I just I feel like i got to share. Uh, rabbis weren't supposed to talk to women in public. Like, that was like the rabbi way. Like, uh, if you talk to a woman in public, you were no longer allowed to be a rabbi. It was very scandalous. Like, they had, like, literally, like, phrases and things they had memorized. Like, here's one of them. Uh, the rabbi, like, precept ran this way. Let no one talk with a woman in the street. No, not with one, uh, even his own wife. Uh, they would go on to say this. Uh, Better the words of the law should be burned than delivered to a woman. Each time that a man prolongs converse with a woman, he causes evil on himself. Like some strict rabbis, if women were even in the, in the room, they would close their eyes because they wouldn't even want to look at a woman because they would bring evil on themselves from a woman. What a gross religion. Let's be honest. Most religions are built to elevate men and oppress women. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, I, I created men and women in my image and there are no barriers here. You're not going to tell me who I can sit with and not talk to. You're not going to tell me how to operate. Uh, there is no perfect time and culture to communicate the gospel. And he's saying, I'm tearing down this Bible. The time is now. I'm going to share it. Because the Sabbath was I'm like, oh, dang. He's breaking down some barriers today. Not only is she a Samaritan, but he, he hanging out there by himself at the well. What? You know, it's like one of those things. I'm like, Jesus, this ain't the right time to do this. When will there be a right time to tell people about Jesus? I, I've been, I, I'm going to tell myself. My, my neighbors, I've been praying the last month, especially I just got back from Israel. And it's got this heart that I, I want to lead everybody, anybody I know to the Lord. And uh, I've been just praying like, Lord, give me this moment with my neighbors. Like have them walk outside. And when I see them, like, like have a dove fly over even. And I will share with them the gospel, invite them to church. I'm here to report to you. There has been no dove. There definitely was no sun the last few weeks, even to like create time to stand outside, just rain. I've lived next to my neighbors for two years. I have never shared Jesus with them. Because there's, like there's been a perfect time. I don't want to be the neighbor like, hi, I'm the new pastor. Want Jesus? Like, I was like, too aggressive. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play cool. I'm just going to be chill. Like, howdy, neighbor. You know, like, it's going to be a good neighbor. And eventually they're going to see, like, how normal we are. And then I'm just going to be like, hey, guess what? I'm a pastor. Come to Jesus, you know. Um, and what Jesus has shown is, like, stop waiting for a culture's perfect timing. Starbucks is not going to be perfect timing in a Starbucks. Bottom line, the reality is, is that the people who make room in their day, the people who, who tear down barriers and say, I'm going to make the moment now, I'm going to share Jesus, are the ones that actually change people's lives. Yeah. Us trying to get even superstitious in our evangelism, yeah. waiting for a sign. Like, God, where's the sign? I'm, I'm a superstitious evangelist. Oh, you know what? I'm in a secular Starbucks or I'm at a coffee shop and they're playing Christian music. That's my sign. <laughs> Scripture's already told you what you're supposed to do. Stop looking for a sign. Come on. All right, so let's, uh, let's look at this last one. I'll invite the worship team to come up. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. This woman not only gets saved, but she becomes a great evangelist and leads almost the entire village to Jesus. So many of you, 
one of the reasons why you won't share Jesus is you don't think you have good enough theology. And the Bible shows very clearly, it's not about the power of theology, it's about the power of the testimony. The greatest strategy is your story. Sharing your story. She, here's all she knew. Come meet a man who redeemed my life. Well, hold on now. What's the Greek word for redemption? I don't know. My life's changed. Religious people always walking up to people who got saved in the, in, in the Gospels. Hey, hold on a second. Hey, your eyes got fixed. Like, who, who did it? What happened? Like, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. That's all I know. Would you like to see now? I was sick, and now I'm healed. I was empty, and now I'm fulfilled. I was broken, and now I'm restored. Do you want to meet the same one? Because that's all I got. You're going to say, you know what? I was lost. Now I'm found, and I'm a lot better than I was. Still a train wreck, and he still loves me. I trust I me, mean, like you've been around my guy, but he's still like, can I tell you about the one who still loves me on my journey? The greatest thing you can use to lead people is your story. Not, 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 not theology, just your, how do we overcome the enemy? The blood of the lamb, the power of the testimony, and not loving our life too much. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, I eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you knew nothing about. It's a... Uh, you ever had so much fun or been just enjoying yourself so much you accidentally missed a meal? You know, watching a good game, hanging out with friends. You're like, oh man, I forgot lunch. And what Jesus is saying is when you live for Jesus and you live out your purpose, the things that you used to be hungry for, you lose your appetite. You don't hunger for uh, human things and, 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 and worldly things anymore. The thing that you hunger for is Jesus. He's like, the thing that satisfies my soul is not this world. It's amazing when you start living for the Lord, the hungers that are competing with the Lord, they take a, a back seat. And so he goes on to say this. He goes, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from the doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. Everybody say, wake up and look around. Man, I've never had um, Jesus be my alarm clock, but this would be an alarm clock moment. Can you imagine if your alarm clock every morning was just, wake up. Jesus? It's me again. Like, that would be a gangster uh, alarm clock. Who uses their iPhone for their alarm clock in the morning? Majority of us, yes, okay? And my alarm clock on my uh, uh, iPhone is, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's not a good one. And he's saying, but wake up. The fields are ready uh, for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. The fruit they harvest is people, but uh, brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Saying what joy awaits the people actually become evangelists. There's joy in evangelism. You know the saying, one plants, another harvest. I say you the harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you get to, to gather the great harvest. Saw this study I came across a few weeks ago that six out of ten people hit the snooze button when the alarm clock goes off. Alarm hits, snooze. It's three types of people in this room. People who wake up without an alarm clock. Raise your hand. Who are those people? Yeah, my people. I just, my body wakes me up. I'm not trying to be like a Navy SEAL. Trust me, I'm not. Um, but I, I just, I wish wake up early. It's just, it's just something, something, the way my body's wired. And then there's people who alarm goes off and they're out of bed. And then there is the snooze people like, what? Snooze, fall back asleep. Snooze, snooze. Well, in this study I read, hitting the snooze button, button is actually unhealthy for you physically. It creates like even a rhythm of anxiety. Like imagine like something off and then you fall asleep and it's like start, you know, start, start creating that rhythm in your life. In the, it's not the way you should start your morning. You know, every nine minutes, somebody waking you up. You know what I'm saying? So, so it creates a rhythm anxiety. It also says that it, it's bad for your heart because it, it takes your, your, uh, your, um, your, your, your valves and it tightens them up a little bit because you're stressed out. 
It's not good for you. It's bad for your health. The reality is, is that we come to church on Sundays and we have the Lord and we get spiritually woken up. Wake up. There's more for you. You're supposed to be an evangelist. And we wake up. And then we get in the car and we spiritually hit the snooze button. It's just bad for your spiritual health. It's bad for the people around you. There was a couple we traveled with when we were in Israel. And they're just the best. You know, they're just retired. uh, Pastor Great Church for almost 40 years in Spokane, Washington. And uh, their name was Craig and Moni. Rachel and I loved them. And uh, Moni just had this like countenance to her. Just just this spirit about her. She loved people. She was just very sweet. She's gracious. And just, you find out, I found out about her life that, you know, her first marriage, her husband died at an early age and uh, it was devastating. And uh, she'd been through just so much. But if you had met her, you thought she lived the greatest, most pain-free life. But the reality is she just lived with the one that knew how to redeem all the pain she had been through. And, and so she just had this, this focus about her. And she, she was praying this prayer on the trip and she was just, um, I was praying this prayer. Lord, give me a divine appointment. Give me a divine appointment. A.K. she's saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm making room in Israel. Use me to do your work even on this trip in Israel. So the last uh, day we're there, we go uh, over this the park to pray over Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, it's one of the least uh, Christian countries in the world. Only 600,000 out of 9 million are Christians in Israel. I, I didn't know this. I was like, I was, I was shocked. When Israel first birthed, it was only about 50,000. They actually have a bill right now in Israel. They're proposing that we'll make it illegal for you to share that Jesus is Savior and you'll go to jail for a year or two years in Israel. There's a big, actually, uh, revival happening in Iran, actually, with evangelical Christians. That's an amazing thing. But in Israel, they're struggling with the gospel and Jesus and people getting saved. So we've been praying for our church. But the last day, we're like, let's go pray over Jerusalem. Let's pray over Israel. That God would would save uh, uh, this region. That he would have uh, a wave of revival in Israel. And so uh, we get up there. And when we show up, there's like 20 pianos uh, just grand pianos throughout the city of Jerusalem. And to be honest, like, I was picturing Jerusalem like the Bible. I thought there was going to be, like, dirt and donkeys everywhere. Like, welcome to Jerusalem, you know? I thought it was going to be, like, the chosen, okay? Um, didn't realize that they also evolved, and they had, like, Fendi and Gucci, like, across the street from us. It was, like, all these high-end stores. And, and so, so, like, Jerusalem was beautiful, like, super clean, super nice. And uh, they put these nice pianos everywhere, and just people could play them. And there was this one Muslim lady uh, just sitting there at the park right next to the, the um, uh, grand piano. And we had a handful of worship people there. And one of the guys just started playing worship. And we started praying and we started worshiping. How great is our God. Sing with me. And we started singing how great is our God over the city of Jerusalem. And, and uh, within like 10 seconds, just God's spirit, just we could just, this palpable manifest presence. I felt it. All of us, like, like something's happening right now. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And, and I look back and I see Moni walking towards this girl named Sarah. She's this Muslim girl sitting there. And, and Moni felt like the Lord told her, she's mine. She, she's mine. And so Moni walks up to her and here's what Moni uh, says to her. God's create, uh, to, to, sorry. Whew. This is what she wrote to Sarah. The God who created you sees you. He knows your name. You are beautiful, beautiful in his sight. He understands you when others don't. He knows what you've been through, yet your heart is soft and tender. God has a beautiful plan for you. He's with you. He will lead you into it. And then she prayed for her. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And if you were there, you would see, like, they first started talking, and then Sarah, the Muslim girl, just starts weeping, I mean bawling. Moni leads her to the Lord. She gets saved at this uh, worship moment. 
I, we actually have a video. I want you to see it. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of. Check out this video quick. That, that moment was about five minutes long. We had to condense it. And if you're online, sorry, we can't show it online for Sarah's safety. Um, the time of message was when Jesus makes room. But the, the, the way I want to conclude this is when the church makes room, when you make room, when you start praying the same thing, Lord, would you give me a divine appointment this week? We put on your chair this little card, three names to write down, and just something about people waking up to what Jesus said. Wake up! The harvest is now! Don't look for the special moment. Don't get superstitious on it. Don't try to overthink it. Bottom line, people need to know that I'm living water. I'm the one who saves and satisfies. I'm the great Hosanna. And there's, there's, the, there's one barrier holding back this region now. It's just us not saying it. That's it. Us, us not wanting to be uncomfortable. And so my prayer today is as you start to write down these cards, three names, I want you to pray over it, that you say, God, may I make room this next season? May I make room to, to, to invite somebody to this Easter? There's no other Sunday in all of the year that people are willing to go to church than Easter Sunday. I want to do one more thing, and then we'll have you fill it out as you fill it out when we worship. Uh, we're going to believe that. We're going to pray over these cards all week, of course, too. Um, it's going to be a bold move, but if you are somebody who got invited to church, and because you got invited to church, you got saved and your life was changed forever, could you stand up real quick? Can you just show people what the, the power of the invitation? Don't let fear hold you back. Go and stand up. Stand up. Everybody stand up. Come on. On behalf of every person standing, and that's including myself, will you please have more people stand next week? There's somebody who said, I'm going to invite that person. It changed their life forever. And it, to be able to play that small little role, it's one of the most satisfying, joyful things you'll ever be able to do. You guys are going to take a seat. Thank you for being bold enough to stand. I appreciate it. So we're going to sing Make Room. And I want you to write the names. I want you to pray over the names. And then as you walk into the boxes, there's a box on my right, a box on my left, and there's two boxes in the back. Take at least a minute to look at the names, pray over the names, and then you can just drop the box in the back and you're dismissed. You can, if you're parents, you can walk through this hallway. Uh, we're actually opening this door up now. If you want to walk out this side door, you can. And then two boxes back and walk out on the outside. Just want to pray for you. Next week is Easter Sunday. We got four services. We got Good Friday coming on Friday. Man, pray, be praying and believe. Does that sound good? God, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. God, we don't do this lightly. God, we pray right now that those three names we write, Lord, that they're going to be divine appointments, that we're going to make room in our schedule. God, to invite them, to pray that, that you would soften their hearts and God, they would say yes and their life would be changed forever. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to share the gospel. We love you. We love you. Everybody said. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.